This reading of Scripture today comes from Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Please hear the word of the Lord. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. He said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I'll tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the inerrant and the infallible word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning during the prelude, and at any part of this service, you... Yes. Children, you can be dismissed in your respective <laughs> places. Okay. You obviously know that today is a special day. Some of you are visiting today, and you're here because of that special day. And it is. It's a special, wonderful day within the life of the church. And I say that because today... As we gather together, something supernatural does take place. We gather together today to worship the Lord Jesus. We gather together today to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus proclaimed. That's why today is special. And we might think, well, yes, Chris, but it's special because the ordination and installation of Tyler Kenyon as a pastor of this church. And it is. And as wonderful as this man is, as gifted as he is, as much of a blessing that he is to his family, to his friends, and he is all of these things, but he is a blessing to us and he's a blessing to the church because God has called him as a minister of the gospel. You don't need Tyler Kenyon as much as I love you, brother. You need Jesus. Amen. And we need the gospel and I would say that Tyler, thankfully, would have no other desire today but for you to hear that truth. He wouldn't want this just to be about him as special as today is. But he would want Jesus to be put on display before us. And as we think about it, though, the reasons that the session has called Tyler are they're numerous I mean, his, his gifts in ministry, his love for God's people, his desire to serve, his work ethic that is, that is very rare in our culture today, the fact that he reads at 4 o'clock in the morning anything, Ben, not to mention systematic theology, but anything at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's beyond par among his peers. But what stands out in Tyler 
is his sense of call and his desire for others to know Jesus. Because Tyler knows that Jesus is who even he needs. And his call to join this particular church and to join in in any way that he can, in every way that he can, in the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and of bringing needy sinners, needy sinners to the foot of the cross. And that is the minister's call, isn't it? To proclaim Christ, to, to, to feed his sheep. You know, this year is the 500th anniversary of, of uh, Martin Luther's nailing his 95 theses to the, to the Wittenberg Chapel door. Well, Luther wrote in on Christian liberty, he wrote, to preach Christ is to feed the soul, to justify it, to set it free, uh, to bring people to Jesus. And there are numerous texts that one could pick as an ordination, installation service, but none more appropriate, maybe, in my mind, than Mark chapter 2, as was read earlier. Jesus healing the paralytic. Because it's not just about Jesus healing a paralytic. And as, as we listened to that text, we found Jesus, that He had returned to Capernaum. Word had spread that Jesus was home. And home for Jesus at this point was more than likely it was Peter and Andrew's house that had become His own home while He was there. But He was there and He was preaching in this house. And so many had gathered that there was no room. The text said, not even at the door. It was a, so just picture the, the scene. It was a, a packed house. And isn't that the minister's dream? <laughs> a, a packed house. Maybe uh, it's certainly our desire and probably even our dream to have a packed house. But as John said earlier, not to hear the voice of a man, but to hear the Word of God. That's a minister's desire for you not to hear me. No but so that you would, in fact, hear the Word of the Lord, that you might see Jesus. And all these were packed in this house for whatever reason. Whenever they were there, they were there, and they would hear the Gospel. Not just the Gospel, but they would hear from Jesus Himself. They wanted to hear Him. We don't know why they wanted to hear Him necessarily, for we know that many of them were there, not actually seeking Jesus. And in fact, from other parts of the Scripture in Romans 3, we we learn that no one actually seeks God in their, in their own strength, in their own flesh. Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands God, no one seeks for God. And the point there in that text is that God is the one who seeks. That He's the loving God. That He is the so-called hound of heaven that seeks after sinners to draw them to Himself. In man's sin sinfulness, we don't seek after God ourselves. We don't seek the, the things of God. But it doesn't mean that we don't seek anything. See, I think this is where we get confused. It doesn't mean that man doesn't seek gods or that he doesn't seek fulfillment or that he doesn't desire some sort of truth, albeit a truth defined by himself or by the culture or by science or by whatever. But the fact is he doesn't seek God in and of himself. He doesn't seek the truth. He doesn't seek Jesus Christ. But man does seek in fact, there's something in us that, that we've been created to seek after that that brings wholeness and fulfillment. But in our sin, we seek the wrong things. We worship false gods. We do not seek the true God. That's what Paul means in Romans. 
then we're told elsewhere, uh, in the midst of the Areopagus in the book of Acts, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see, it's not that they weren't seeking anything. They were seeking something. It's not that they weren't worshiping something. They were worshiping something. But they were worshiping and seeking the wrong thing. And I I say that because this is so important as we talk about the work of a minister. But not just the work of a minister, as we talk about the call of the church. The mission of the church, our role here, your role here, even. We have the answer to what people are seeking, even when they don't even know that they're seeking for it. That's the wonderful news that the church has been given the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The, 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 the world around us may deny it. They may suppress it. But we proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus. And this passage that has been read before us, really, it is about mission. It's about bringing people to the truth, to Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it, it, it said, And they came bringing to Him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic Lay. So think with me, think of the scene, this crowded room, no room even at the door. And so there's this group of men that come and remove the roof. I mean, Jesus is preaching, and all of a sudden there's this ruckus above them. You know, during sermons, babies cry. Ministers are used to that. Babies cry, it's part of it. Hymnals, sometimes if you have hymnals, hymnals fall to the floor. You sometimes even drop the Lord's Supper thing, uh, the cups and the bread. You hear all sorts of things going on. Even sometimes cell phones ring in the midst of a worship service. But somebody digging through the roof, I would bet to say that none of us have been there, right? Somebody digging through the roof to get a friend at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And this was no easy fare to dig through. But these four men were determined. They were dogged in their determination. So think what we see here. A deep, loving concern and care for their friend. A trust, a a faith that this one teaching could actually do something to help him. I wonder if we think that about Jesus. I wonder if we think that about our friends. There's a doggedness here, isn't there? And maybe there was even opposition to them. Maybe there were some there who were saying, hey, we can't hear what's going on. Please be quiet. What do you think you're doing, guys? I wonder if their response might have been, we're doing whatever it takes to get our friend to the feet of Jesus. That's what we're doing. I I love this passage. I wonder if we have that same love for those around us, that same confidence in the the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that it truly does have the power to change hearts and lives. That as we bring others to Jesus, that He has the power to heal them. The power to meet their greatest need. And and we also see here Jesus' mercy, don't we? Verse verse 5, it said, And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And of course, what upsets the, 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 the scribes here is that he said your sins are forgiven. And we'll get to that in just a moment. 
But I think we really get upset when we read this passage before we ever get to the point where it says your sins are forgiven. I think we, we get upset at the point where it says where Jesus saw their faith. When we get there, we immediately put the brakes on. We love to say that we believe in a sovereign God. We love to say that we believe that salvation rests completely upon the mercy of God and His sovereign choice. And we do so rightly. But as soon as it is so clearly displayed in the Word of God, we immediately have a problem with it. Wait a minute. What about the guy on the mat? He's got to do something, right? He's got to do something. It's not what the text says. In fact, it's not the only time we see this in the Scripture either. Healing on the basis of the faith of another. Now, I'm not denying that, that faith is man's response. No, not at all. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But as we look through the Scriptures, Matthew 8, uh, the centurion servant. Jesus said, go let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jairus' daughter in uh, Mark chapter 5. In, in the same way. And we might say, but, but wait a minute. Those are, those are physical healings. But not here in Mark 2. It's not just a physical healing. Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Does Jesus not have the authority to save who He wills to save? Is it not true, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy? You see, this is a, passion about, uh, this is a passage about missions. It's a passage about our desire to get those who need Christ to Christ. Why? Because He is our only hope. Our only hope is the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. You say, why do you emphasize that? Because it also frees us up. As a minister, and I bet every minister in this room would say the same thing, if it were left up to me about the results of what is preached here, one, I would be an ultimate failure, and two, I would not be here. I'd be scared to death to do it. But praise God. Praise God. It's not in the skill of the minister. It's not in the skill of the one who's sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But it's the power of the Spirit of God met with His Word that changes hearts and lives of people. So, we have the privilege then, each of us, all of us, to share the gospel in that great freedom. And that should be an encouragement to us. For all of us. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Our only hope is in the mercy of God. And again, hear what Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, the mercy of Christ to be forgiven of our sin. But we might imagine the response by those around. Um, Jesus, He's paralyzed. That's not his real problem. Right? They're bringing them to you, Jesus, because he's paralyzed and you're telling him his sins are forgiven? Can't you see that he's got an obvious problem? But you see, while it may be his obvious problem, it's not his greatest problem. His greatest problem, his greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. It's the healing of the soul. Many of you may have heard of 
a lady by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a believing woman. She's an artist. She's an author. Um, she's been paralyzed for some four decades from a diving accident from when she was a kid. She had an interview with Time Magazine a long time ago and, and in which she said this. She said, people who've been healed in the way I think I've been healed, we don't care about wealth, success, comfort. Having that peace makes up for any amount of walking that I may have missed. One problem I have with faith healing is that it tends to be focused only on the physical aspect of healing, but Jesus always backed away when people came to Him only to get their physical needs met. My goodness, she says, He was ready to have you lop off your hand. His real interest was in healing the soul. And this is what Jesus does. So when John said a moment ago, that when we have this view, or when Ben said a moment ago, that we have this view to the end, it's not just words. It's not just words. The soul's at stake. Eternity is at stake. And Jesus heals the soul. This is the mercy of the Lord. He forgives sin. He puts you and me in right standing before God Almighty. And I wonder, is the forgiveness of sins... Forgiveness of sin, good news to us. Do we understand the reality, uh, this reality in such a way that it has become good news for us? Because I wonder sometimes, after what do we strive? Is it physical wealth, physical health? But it all passes away. No matter what you have, no matter what you don't have, no matter how much you have, no matter how little you may have, no matter what kind of physical health you may be in, or the lack thereof. Unless the Lord comes before this day, you and I will die. But if, unless the Lord comes before the day that you die, obviously, you're going to die because that same end meets for everyone. Children, young people, there are some of you still left in here. You think you're invincible. I know you do because I was one of you one time. And I've got teenagers. And they think they're invincible. But we all come to the same end. And what will we claim at that time? I had good parents. I had a lot of money. I was in good shape. I ate right. I did good things. I gave away a lot of my money. I'm an American. I'm a Jew. All that means absolutely nothing on that day. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. Simply to Jesus. A merciful Savior is what, you're, what you need. It's what I need. Our sins forgiven. That's our greatest need. And Christ is our only hope. That's why, that's, that's why Christ is preached. That's why this pulpit here at this church is so important. Uh, Steve Lawson wrote, Every pulpit must present a towering vision of the unique person and saving work of Jesus Christ. All preaching must point to His sin-bearing, substitutionary death for sinners. All exposition must lift up the sacrificial Lamb who became a sin-bearing substitute for all who believe. Every message must exalt Christ who was raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God the Father, and entrusted with all authority in heaven and earth.
Amen? Amen. Because only the Lord can forgive sin. He's the answer to that greatest need. And, and, and as a matter of fact, the scribes actually understood this, <laughs> that only the Lord can forgive sin. That's actually what upset them. They were questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But God alone. They were absolutely right. They just don't understand that it was God who was before them in the flesh. You see, these scribes weren't there to learn. Their ears had been closed. Their hearts hardened. They were there skeptics. They were there to challenge. They didn't think they needed to be taught what Jesus was teaching. Because after all, they were the teachers, right? Teachers with skeptic hearts. And then, bear with me for a moment. I know we've gone long this morning. But last, last quick point. And, and I love this part because here are these, these teachers. And the text, as it was read, said they were questioning in their hearts. And they didn't even say these things out loud. But they were thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sin. But, but I would say that in only a sh few short moments, they should also be thinking, only God can know the thoughts of the heart of man, right? Because after all, I mean, if they were really teachers of the law, they certainly should have known through Jeremiah that the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You wonder if that comes to their mind as Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning him when he says, why do you question these things in your heart? Whoa, that should have been a hint, right? It should have been a hint of who this man was. It should have answered their question. He's God himself. He's, he's God in the flesh. He was the one born king. And even in the face of these skeptics, we see the mercy of the sovereign Lord, don't we? He doesn't just say... Yeah, and he could have. He could have. Jesus could have just said, you know what? Take it on faith. I can forgive sin. I'm God. He could have, and he had every right to do that. But he didn't. He showed them. In verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He shows them physically, he shows them by physically healing this paralyzed man. What's so wonderful about this passage is not simply that a paralyzed man gets up and walks. That is wonderful. But what's so wonderful about this passage is that Jesus is showing them that the one who has the power to make this paralyzed man walk is the one who forgives sin, which is the greatest need. That's what's wonderful about this passage. And, and Jesus asked the question, and he said, hey, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. And if you've ever really pondered that, you may still ask the question, well, which would be easier? Because what was asked is which is easier to say, not which is easier to do. So I wonder what we're supposed to be thinking here, right? Because it actually would be easier to just simply say, hey, man, your sins are forgiven, and not back it up. Any of us could say that, right? So how does he prove to them that he can actually do that? He says, get up, take your mat, and walk. You see, the words of Jesus are not empty. They're not hollow. What he says he can do, he can do. 
It's a wonderful truth. And the scribes here, they knew, they knew that the forgiveness of sin belongs to God alone. In fact, in the Jewish, in Jewish thought of the day, in some circles, not even the expectation of the Messiah included him having that type of authority. Because the authority to forgive sin belonged to, to God alone. And not even, in their thinking, to this Messiah who were to come. Forgiveness was a divine prerogative. And so, so do you see then the impact of what Jesus was saying on the midst of these scribes, in the midst of these Jews? Here He is forgiving sin in His own name so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. This, this is a clear claim of divinity. A clear claim of deity. The logic is simple, isn't it? And I think sometimes we make the Bible so much more difficult than it really is. A lot of times it is just flat simple. Here's the logic. Only God can forgive sin. Yes. Jesus forgives sin. Yes. Therefore, what? Jesus is God. Right? I mean, it should have been very plain. He is the one who forgives sin. Because He's God. And if you claim to be God, you ought also to be able to make this paralyzed man walk. Because after all, if you're God, you ought to be able to do that. And if you can't, then you're not God. And therefore, you can't forgive sin either. So Jesus says, doesn't He? I say, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And He rose and immediately picked up His bed and went before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I wonder if we think about the Gospel in that way. I've never heard anything like this. Jesus gave this man working legs and arms and feet, and that's wonderful, it's fantastic, but it was to show that he had the power and the authority to do that which it pointed, and that was to forgive the man's sin. That's, that's our greatest need. And only Jesus meets it. And that's why we proclaim it. And as a minister of the gospel, we're actually called ministers of the gospel. And so if we are saying anything else other than the gospel, then we're not doing that which we're called. Tyler, you're called to be a minister of the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And why do we do that? Because that's, in that is our salvation. By that our souls are fed. And if it's in that, if it's in Jesus, then our roles as ministers of the flock is to do just that. To show you Jesus. To show you Jesus. That you might be fed. Not just so that you can be fed, but so that you can be fed and then go and share that same thing with others. The wonderful news of Jesus. The wonder of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together, shall we?